What's happening? Welcome to the first season of Apples and Snakes, the podcast. I'm your host, Yomi Shode. And this season, we will be focusing on what it means to be black, British and a poet or spoken word artist. If you're interested in getting a greater insight into the journeys of some of your faves, then join us and keep listening. Saying that, if you do like what you're hearing, remember to subscribe wherever you would usually listen to your podcast and rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts. All right, we're back in for part two of our conversation. In today's episode, I'm talking to Casey Bailey and Q. I remember like a couple of years ago, man, again, same thing. I was like, I don't know much about the poetry scene, but I've listened to it and I like it. And I want to learn what some of these things actually mean. So I started playing Scrabble in Waterstones every Thursday with two with a, a poet called Lionheart, a poem, a poet called Gelade, and a poet called Kush. Every time they beat me, mm. that's so cool. Like when I say mm. when I say the point, the point mm. difference here was foolish. Listen to me. I'm making two, three-letter words here. Yeah? These men are using the whole bench. I'm sitting there like, oh, that's that, that's that poetry literacy. Like, that, oh, I lost it every time. I'm happy to say that. These men would, these men, but every time they did, like, again, every time we played it, I got, I, got, I got a couple more points. And to me, I was proud. I was like, cool. Like, I used words that they used last week. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm like, sick. That means I've learned it now. I know these words. Do you know what I mean? Like, I know these words. I remember what, yeah. this, is, this, this, is, this is one story I love to tell right here. Learning. The poet Kush. Mm. Kush, made a poem, Kush made a poem called uh, Sanguine. For so long, yeah, I had no idea what Sanguine was. He would say the poetry mm. to me, and then one day he said to me, you know, Sanguine is the color of blood. It's never left me then. And I understand the poem better now. Do you know what I mean? Like, that was the learning process mm. for me. But anyway, that was a tangent. Now, back to mm. the actual thing about promotion. 100%, mm, yeah. it comes down to, it comes down to how it's, to, it, it, it really comes down to how it's packaged, man. And that's the truth, representation of how it's packaged. Like, I'm very conscious of how we push things out on the network in terms of because of our, our our target market and who we want to we want everyone to read, but there's a specific kind of people. There's like young black males to me. I think don't read as much as they should. I think there could be a lot more of them. And trying to market to them specifically, but yeah. obviously not um, exclusively, is sort of how we how we package the page. And um, yeah, we, I mean, we just think about how we how we how we shoot the pictures, even how we caption it. It's sort of like the pictures that, like for example, I remember I had a DM from a young man. He said, "Is the book that good that you yeah. had to go and stand in the stand in the water for?" I was like, "I was like, bro, I was like, I was like, I was like, yo, dude, listen, listen, the book was incredible. Like, I can't swim, but I went swimming. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? I can't swim, but I went swimming. Like, that's how that's how deep the book was. Like, I'm online, I'm online making references to books, and this and that. They're like, yo, where's that from? I'm tweeting up pages. Like, where's that from? Like, yo, you don't, don't understand like the 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 the, 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 the like necessity for books." So the people that did read and the people that I sent books to directly were like, yo, listen, take a look. Hopefully this became a way yeah. to reach many more people at one time. Do you know what I mean? Many people at one time because doing it on my page is one thing, that's fine. But doing it yeah. on a platform that is now trying to like gather as a community as well, I think that was different to me. So yeah, like I've got young people on the team who read and ideas from them. Let's talk spoken word. Let's talk spoken word and let's talk the, the boom <laughs> Of I say the boom, but I feel like spoken words forever been about. It's been here. It's not like it's new news. It's almost like to a certain degree, we're seeing a boom of it. Definitely, like within the last, I don't know, three to five or so years, in terms of such a such a 
heightened push in regards to it. And I would, you know, dare I argue that spoken word and young people accessing spoken word via via YouTube, via different mediums as well, has been something that's kind of perpetuated poetry generally in terms of somebody's access points and what have you. I know that um, a few years ago, not too long ago, the Spoken Word Educators Programme was ran by Peter Kahn and Jacob Samner Rose, and this took place as as a form of study. This was something that was you, you, it was it was it, at the end of you got a qualification. I was definitely one of the people that also was keen to apply for that, but unfortunately, I was working and that didn't necessarily get to happen. What came out of the spoken word educators was an amazing feat of like you had poets that were going into schools and were actually delivering programs within the curriculum to students in relation to poetry, in relation to spoken word. And this was the access points that a lot of the students were getting. And do we need more of these programs in schools? What are your thoughts in regards to that as access points in terms of like poets in schools to be delivering what because again at August of last year they were talking about what removing poetry from from <coughs> GCSEs and what have you as well mm. what have you or making or making it optional or what mm. have you so what how, what's the importance of this now in terms of just um in terms of poets in school how important uh, or does it bear any re- relevance at all like what are your what are your thoughts on that one man um, I, I I definitely think it's good to have poets in schools. I'm kind of, I'm a double whammy, like I'm a two for one. Yeah. So so often when I'm in schools, I'm talking to kids about poetry. But, Added value, boy. Yeah, but that's not why I'm here. Yeah, they ain't got me there for that, but I'm going to do mm. that while I'm there. And um, I know for a fact there are poets who I know who right now, who I've taught, who they write because I taught them. They write because, no, and I didn't teach them how to write. So I didn't teach them anything to do with poetry. I just spoke to them about it. I might have shared a poem in a break time or a lunch time, and they start, start coming up to me. I say I've written this, and I'm like, oh yeah. First of all, I'm like, oh yes, yeah, dope. Like that's really nice. Then I might mm. critique it a little bit. They keep writing. I'm gonna say, okay, I like that. But have you thought about extending that image there? How 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 have these two parts connected to each other? Why have you said it like that? And now I'm I'm like mentoring someone as a poet because they're just running up on me at lunchtime while I'm trying to eat my lunch and say, oh sir, can you read my poem? Yeah, I'll read your poem. Um, and I think that that kind of relationship with someone who you know is going to be there regularly, who you can bring your words to, can be really important. Mm. Um, I think it's, you know, when we look at, it's interesting, we talk about like the boom of spoken word because like language in poetry, like written formal language in poetry was always about keeping out certain people in the way, in the way that written language in, in many ways has always been used to keep people out because when you first start, when they first started learning how to write, you didn't teach everybody how to write. You taught certain people how to write. You taught mm. certain people how to read. And then, as, as learning how to read and write became for everyone, they started learning ways of reading and writing. Mm. That was only for those specific people. So then you sit down and you read Shakespeare and you ain't got a clue what you're reading. But certain mm. man, they know it because they was getting taught it in their special local schools over mm. there mm. when I was five mm-hmm. years old. Mm-hmm. And so, and so the, the resurgence of uh, spoken word, which has always been the first, the original way that we communicated, mm-hmm. and the use of language and tone to, to express something rather than this fancy word that, that this person don't understand. You've, I've seen a man stand on the stage and say the word pain in such a way that you feel his pain. You can't do that in a book. <laughs> you know what I mean? You, you write pain in the books like pain. And if somebody read it, they might go, you've said pain, but how could you express that a little bit better? Pain's quite generic. Someone yeah. might say when they read your poem, you hear that man stand on stage and say pain. You're like, raw. 
that's pain. That's pain. <laughs> like I that's, felt that's the pain. pain. You didn't need to that's come up with a better pain. way of saying it. You did. I didn't need an image for your pain. I felt the pain run through me. Um, and so I think that the the what what's positive for me is that that spoken word poetry almost always drives us to the page because we always want to be better writers. So we 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 learn how to perform, and, and that for me was what it was. I get I got better at performing, but. I wanted to read because I wanted to to really get into the intricacies of putting these words together. And yeah. that's, when, that's when you start to see the poems in the anthology and they make more sense because you think, oh, I understand why he wrote it like that now. That's I why I stopped the music, bro. I hear that. I, yep. st- I stopped the music because writing a 16 felt too limited. Mm-hmm. Writing a chorus felt too simple. So I'm that. like, how can I build on my craft and learn more about these words that I don't know about? Because right now I'm just trying to make songs and making songs doesn't necessarily build your knowledge base. Mm-hmm. Unless if I really wanted to just write a bunch of things that <laughs> might take people time to Google and find out about. Yeah. I'm just trying to make some tunes and then out of the tunes, I'm trying to make some hits. Yeah. And it got to a point that I was just like, I don't know if that's what I want to be doing. I want to find out about this writing thing. Mm. Where, how deep can it go? Do you know, what is my curiosity? Curiosities and digging a bit deeper, you know. You know what? Hundred percent. Hear that? Um, Q. Anything yeah. to like? I don't know. Like, I, I, I don't know if there's any. Like, what are your thoughts in regards to poets in school? Do you feel like it would have made any difference if you had poets in school? Um, <laughs> yeah. Let me start, let me start. Let me start. I love that. First of all, the way you two are talking. Yeah, I love everything you're saying. Like, everything you're saying is hundred percent true. Um, I work with young people. I work in schools as well. And um, obviously, I'm like more strategy based because I'm not a poet per se. But poets in school is like literally the best way. It gives you the opportunity, to, gives the poet the opportunity to break down their poems. Because I feel like it really comes just down to the lines and the words, man. Like it comes down to understanding the words and the lines, the stories that they're telling. Given it's like the only thing I remember when it comes to school and poetry, yeah, it's just going to be so bad. Is them passing mm. out them sheets every day in a class with the stanzas and stuff. I remember nothing though, but I just remember the little papers and it's got a poet at the end there. That's what I remember. So now, if mm. you'd gone back and you'd started off mm. with maybe Stormzy song lyrics, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'd have read that. Next week, ease me more into someone who's a bit more poetry, ease me into like a Nego True. Cool. Yeah. Then after that, ease me into something deeper. Do you know what I mean? Because my story of poetry came from, yeah. I went, yeah. I went like from front to back, essentially. So I started listening to Nego True and I, when I understood what they were saying, that's when I went back to the Maya Angelus. And I was like, yeah. oh, snap. Oh my God, that's what they're saying. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? That's what I'm back. Like, so we're talking access. So we're talking access points. Is yeah. there then? Is there then? Mad, 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 mad. Is are we? If we're talking, if we're talking access mm. points, are we trying to say that really and truly? If we're going to look oh. at this on a deeper level, then we need to consider what the access point is into literature. And for yeah. the most part, if we're certain, if if mm. if if the access point <laughs> is. If the access point is six nine, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. If the access point oh. is, if the access point, but, but, but wait with me now, hold with me now, because for certain people, the access point might be via, might be via drill, yeah. pop, country. I don't know. The access point might be via a film or a line from a film or something like that. They might, they might, you, there's a matter of times I've heard, like, if I'm talking to, 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 to how many, how many Thanos lines or flipping <laughs> Bane lines from Batman have I not tried to say it or whatever it is. And the thing is, what's it? What did, what did Batman say to Superman? Yes, bruv. Batman looked at, wait, who said it? Was it Batman <laughs> to Superman? I think it was Batman. He looked at Superman and he said, tell me, do you bleed? 
bruv. <laughs> sent me, bruv. Special. <laughs> Absolutely. Sent me. Tell me, in that same power of a line, that you can, you can equate that line to to be or not to be. That is a question. Because I feel like that line was just as important to me. A man is looking at another man and saying, tell me, do you bleed? You know what I mean? Let me know, man. It's Let real. me know. It's and if, as a teacher, if, if you're saying, oh, that excited you, oh, check these one-liners out. Mm-hmm. And then my thing's going to be, oh, who wrote that line? That line is sick. What are you talking about? And my access point would have been a film off of one of the characters that I think is rather cool. And they happen to say this thing to another superhero and I'm about to see both of them fight and I don't know what's going to go down. But as that as an access point, it gives me entry to say, oh, you're interested in words. Not only are you interested in words, you're interested in lines that are really sick. Mm. Now, let me do my research if I want to introduce you into Shakespeare or whoever it is or whether it, 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 it is whether it is a poet that you've seen on YouTube or whatever it is, how can we get from Batman to this poet that you see on YouTube to this pamphlet or collection? Yeah. Is that, that, we, is that, that what we're talking about here? Yeah. So I've got, I've got a friend who's like a mad hip-hop fan and he mocked me when I started writing poetry. Yeah, he's a good friend. Good friends mock you when you start writing poetry. They say, poet blood. <laughs> I don't know about poet and that. And he said to me, and I used to talk to him about poetry all the time, over and over and over and over. And he used to say to me, he's a, he's a Krypton Conan fan, uh, and he used to say to me, what's the point in me reading poetry or listening to this poet and they're doing all this stuff with words and they can't come up with a bar that's harder than a Krypton Conan bar. And I went back to him maybe last year. There's Caleb Femi poem called Coping. Mm. And there's a line in it and Caleb Femi says something like, I say something like, I'm sure I know it off by heart because every time I do a poetry workshop, I do this poem. Mm. Um, he says, maybe the maybe a state as tall as it is, is a half buried bone of a, of a dead God and the blue light of dawn, his son in mourning. So I said to my friend, like, listen to this line. And he says, yeah, like it's a nice line. I said, okay, but the blue light of dawn is the sun mm. in the morning. So the blue light of dawn is the God's son in mourning, but it is also the son in the morning. This man lost his head. It's and the way you brought that down is how us man will probably break down lyrics to like a well, tune or a bar yeah. to, to our that, boys or whatever exactly. it is or whatever. Exactly. And I think, and that, and that, and I think that, and what's also there is almost like, you know, there's this thing, like, you know, again, it's been discussed in a series of like poets being rock stars. And it's almost mm. like, I know JJ Bola's always talking about hype your, hype your writers, like you hype your rappers type mm. thing, right? Like, and I will say champion, champion your peoples them. So I think there's something in the championing of, of poets and their lines that is equally as important as well, as well as talking about the actual poem. Like, right, this is fire. What yeah, are you talking about? Like, yeah. just, it's just, anyway, let me stop my noise. I want to, I'm very keen to talk to both of you about voice, right? I feel like, I feel like, um, Casey, like voice wise, I feel like in finding voice, so Q, you spoke about earlier voice in relation to, all right, if I don't know this poem from a poet, if I don't know this word or whatever it is, I'm confident to ask. Mm. Not too many people are at that stage. They, they will be silent in not wanting to be embarrassed. And, and in a way, it will remove them from what initially is a big interest, right? Mm. But that yeah. took you time to cultivate the confidence in your voice to get to a point of just feeling comfortable enough to just ask, right? Casey... 
similarly, you're in a you're you are in an institution. You're in you're in such a position to affect change with your voice. Mm. Um, within the series, there's folks that are trustees, and they are sitting in the boardrooms with people that I don't even know if I will ever see in life. But they are part of decision makers now mm. in the room, a seat on the table. Q, I can assume that you are also in these rooms making potential change with your voice. What's that journey been like to find your voice? And now that you have that voice, do you feel a sense of responsibility because you are trying to affect change? You know what? That's a, that's a, that's a big question. But funny enough, I was talking I was talking like similar topics with my friend and I feel like, yeah, I feel like it's like, it's like awareness, you know? Once you become aware of something, you can't unbecome aware. Do you know what I mean? You can't unsee it. Do you know what I mean? I've seen, I've seen, I've seen things. I've seen how mm-hmm. the world is, or I've seen how mm-hmm. communities and situations are, and I've seen the impact I can, I can play. Do you know what I mean? If I sit down and not play this, and not play this part, I don't know how I'll feel. Do you know what I mean? I don't know how I feel. That journey, I mean, it was a difficult one because you, you, you come across different questions. You ask yourself like things like, mm. do I need to be doing this? Do you know what I mean? Do I really need to be doing this? Like, you say things like, yo, there's so many people doing this. Like, mm. do I add or do I make a change? What's the point? Do you know what I mean? Why me? Do you know what I mean? Like, mm. there's mad questions on that journey. But, you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. It really came down to, to, to looking at it and, and really understanding what I want my legacy to be, man. Do you know what I mean? Like, and it's, it sounds so like morbid as well, but like that motivation of knowing that at some point I'm going to leave. Mm. Dude, I want to affect as much change as I can now. There's no time to be scared. There's no time to be embarrassed. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's no time. I need to, I need to, I need to mm. learn what I need to learn. I need to use my voice to change stuff, bro. Mm. Do you know what I mean? There's so much stuff that needs to be changed in the world. And we're trying little by little, man. I'm trying to push these books out there these people to read, bro. Get me. Once you educate yourself on that side, then, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a step forward. And it's just, yeah, the journey's difficult though, man. Like, it's testing. Casey. I've heard your voice, your voice is representing Birmingham at the moment in your current position. What is that yeah, yeah. like, not only within poetry, but also in in the schools and and being in those rooms with other teachers or other people along the lines and they're trying to make these decisions for young people and you know in your heart of hearts that, nah, 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 you lot, you lot on a joking. I need to actually tell you how this is going to go down and sometimes it might be met with a lot of with, with a lot of opposing sides and opposing views but you also spoke when we first started you spoke about you spoke about the teacher and and, and you're saying boy what I was getting up to in school boy but sometimes that also tends to be a blessing because you know that potentially mm-hmm. there are other young people that are like the way you were when you was in school so that means yep. that in your position now there is huge potential in affecting change, and still yeah. some people's ears might be deaf to hearing what 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 you what it is that you're trying to <laughs> what you're trying to say. So how how is that process with your voice in trying to affect change? Um, you know, it's it, at times it's hard, and I don't I don't often say many things are hard. I don't know why. I don't know why I shy away from saying that. But at times it's it's genuinely difficult, and I love my job. 
And the only time I've ever been stressed at work, it's not at the school that I'm working at now, it's the school that I was working at previously, where I felt, I genuinely felt like there was a, like a, like an aura around race that was like properly negative, like really difficult to deal with. And I was raising it and raising it and raising it. And like I was getting anxious. The reason I was getting anxious, like genuine anxiety, which I never really dealt with before, is, is because, I laugh before I say this, is because mm. you know, I'm not from where mm. these people are from. Yeah. So, so my thing is, if you're going to be disrespectful, if you're going to be bright, then normally I leave it. But it gets to a point where I was feeling to myself, like, yo, I'm going to say, I'm going to say something like, just put different. Say you get me? Like, I'm going to say, say something, something, say one something. One more thing, just say so, so like, <laughs> Say another, say what again? I was like, Samuel, say what again? Uh, <laughs> and um, so, so for me, like, it's little, there are little things in schools that are wild, like, I sit in a meeting, so I was on a senior leadership team, head of behavior. I'm sitting in a meeting and they're talking about two groups of boys. One group of boys are predominantly white boys. The other group of boys are predominantly black boys. And they're talking about this group of boys that keeps kicking in the teacher's doors. Group of white boys are running around, it's kicking in the teacher's doors and running off. And then you got a group of black youths and they were selling sweets. They was always selling sweets. Like, you're, you get yeah, a little round, yeah. you get a little fruit pastels off of me. They'll go, they'll boom, go pound land, boom. get four for a pound and come back and fruit. I was trying to hustle. Um, so personally, I respected it, but that's another story. Um, so, so they started talking about them in this meeting and they started talking about this group of boys that keep kicking the teacher's doors, this group of boys, this, da, 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 blah, blah, blah. And then they start talking about the boys who are selling sweets and, it's like, and they named a the boy. I'm going to call him Yummy now for, so I don't it's all good. break, let me, break let any confidentiality. Yummy mm. and his gang. That's okay. Can I just ask a question? Everyone looks at me. I say, does anyone else find it interesting that when we talk about this group of boys, we call them a group of boys. But when we talk about this group of boys, we call them a gang of boys. And and what do you think the the like reason for that is? That, oh no, Casey, you're looking for something that's not there. Trust me, I, I promise you, this is yeah. not what I come to work looking for. Um, and they said, well, what, what difference does it make? I said, because you come out of this room and you describe them as a gang and the word gang plants an image in every member of staff's head so that when they see them, they're looking essentially mm. at a gang member. I said, no, I grew up in a gang neighborhood. I seen a man jump out of his car and try and shoot out an next man's windscreen. That's gang behavior. Mm. These men are out here selling skills. And we're calling them a gang for what? Like, what, what is it about them? And I had incidents like that over and over again. Like, boys couldn't have skin fades. Well, no one could have skin fades, right? What? And we had this youth at the school. He had an afro. Yeah, bro, listen. This youth at the mm. school had this big afro, yeah? And he used to call his afro every day. The biggest, my biggest issue with him was like, big man, put down your Afro, can't pick up your pen, yeah, because you're ramping. Your Afro is done. And the head teacher told me I had to call home and tell his mom he couldn't have an Afro anymore. And I says, why? And she said, it's messy. And in a, in a instinctive, like, flippant reaction, I say he spends more time combing his hair than you do. And now she was mad and it should upset and emotional, but there we go. Because it was a very neat Afro. I've seen messy Afros. I personally don't have any problem with them either. That's your business. But this boy's hair was one of the, it was Michael Jackson, Jackson 5 Afro. Like the boy would be. You know what I mean? That's impeccable. When I called his mum and spoke about it, she said once a week, she goes over, he said, that is finesse. That is mad. You know what I mean? Bring back your rose water. Bring back the rose water. You know what I'm saying? Right? So I had to do this. Now, this is where it gets sticky. This is where I started yeah. struggling. I knew I was going to cost someone, so I had to move. The boy oh. cut his hair. I had a high top. 
He cut his hair into a high top, skin fade high top. They said his hair was too high in the top. He cut his hair lower. They said he couldn't have a skin fade. I said, Jesus, help us all. What's going on really now? Like at what point? And so I went to the, to the head now at this point. She became the CEO. And I went to her and I says, look, the neatest style of hair that our black boys can have is a skin fade, right? They can have other styles of hair that are as neat, but there's no like, you can't ask them to be neat and presentable and spend 120 pounds on a uniform and wear shoes when they really want to wear Air Forces. And then you, and then they have to have a rough head because uh-huh. you can't let them, they can't, have, they can't have a fresh trim. I'm like, is everything okay? And these times that you were getting things kicking off in schools over, kids being told they couldn't have dreadlocks, kids being told they can't have skin phase, they can't have afros. I sat in a room with the head, I said, look, the long and short of it is, it's racist. The policy that we have put in place is racist. Ipso facto, we are racist, right? That's what we are. So at what point are we going to look at that and say, we don't want to be racist anymore? Because right now, that's mm. what it is. Um, and they changed the rules and, you know, I, I kicked up a bit of a stink and things went a bit wild. But like, that's, that's difficult. And I found my journey into finding my voice started with, and I think it was subconscious at the time, I was picking up every other type of inequality okay. other than race. Because it's easy for me to say, you guys, the way that, that these girls are being treated is unfair because you're mm. treating them like that because they're females. Mm. And it was easy for me to do that because nobody looked at me as someone who had a, a vested interest in it. So like, it's not like Casey's just saying that because he feels like this. No, it's, you know, it, it wouldn't affect me either way, but I think we need to address it. But I came to a point where I was like, yo, I have to say something because I, I know I went for a phase after school of thinking that all the teachers that I thought were racist, yeah, because I thought quite a few of them were racist. I thought, nah, I was kind of wild <laughs> at school, innit? <laughs> so maybe I was just being wild, yeah, and they were just doing their job. And I kind of like went through my own head, like the things yeah. that I could have done differently yeah. to be treated better. And then I went through a phase as a teacher, I was like, nah, I'm not saying individual teachers are racist, this, that, because to me, individual racism really, it's like, it's like below the, below the level of, of importance, but institutionalized systemic racism where you can see that we as a building are going to call that boy there, them boys there a gang and that boy there a group. That boy there can't have a skin fade, but that boy there can have the, the, the most bedraggled hair I've ever seen in my life because it doesn't, we haven't written into our policy, mm. your hairstyle is banned. So he can look as rough as he likes, mm. but this shoot here can't look neat. Like, and, like what's and going on here? And that was important language, to start speaking about. Language for me surpasses the page surpasses mm. verbal language for me is in the physical so language for me is the mm. kid that has got the immaculate afro and what you're doing is stunting that language and stunting that ownership of language mm. and self when you just when when you decide that to take that identity off and then you take it down even mm-hmm. further to a point that you're still not happy mm-hmm. do you see what I mean and for me, I yeah. feel like, you know, there's a lot of, there's a, there's, there's, and again, it's this running theme I've been discussing through the series is language and what does it mean? What does it mean for you? And, and it's, just, it's so sad to hear that that's what the kid had to go through because in that removal of self and identity to a certain degree, in that wanting that individual to fit into the norms of the, this mm-hmm. landscape or the society of the institution, you might not get that. You might get the flip side of that totally because you removed what separated them in the first instance from the norms of everybody else. 
and and what's wild with that is he he was a boy growing up in an area which was like on the on the cusp of areas where kids are getting involved in the the gang kind of thing, the drugs kind of thing. And interestingly, you know, still from when I was there, I used to have a little afro that I was quite proud of. Like you still get a bit of you still get a bit of banter yeah, yeah. for having an afro. It's still a bit like oh look at my afro. He actually separated himself in, from the crowd in one way by not looking like everyone. And Imagine. we told him make sure you look like everybody else. And interestingly, he started to blend in with mm. a group of boys who he wouldn't normally be with because like they he fit with them like they'd let him in now. Yeah. So now you're around these youths and you can be the same as everyone else. And some of them people there, you don't ever before, want to be the same as necessarily. Before I get um, to your um, before I get to what's on your bookshelves. I just want to ask both of you what language means to what language means to you. What what you know for me it's it's I've already boy if you haven't got a feel of it already through this discussion it's everything encompassing it's 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 mm. spiritual it's 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 verbal do you know what I mean it's all these different things but what does language what does language mean for you, you what off. does language mean <laughs> for me, Casey? But I say you want to breathe it um all right, cool. Pressure again, pressure again, pressure again. Um, off top of head, man. Um, for me, language, language is power, man. Do you know what I mean? Language is language is language is power. Being able to articulate in any form of way is 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 power. Being able to like let people understand what you're feeling, thinking, like that's power. Do you know what I mean? Like, there's power in that. If I'm if I was to like break it down to like sort of why dope feed is is around as well. It, it it comes down to language, man. Like giving giving like young people the ability to understand the language and articulate themselves back with it as well. It gives them a certain power that you can't take away from them. Like for example, you were saying Casey, like they cut a man's same even there, but with that said as well still, you can't take a man's language though. Like cool, he now blended into that crowd because of that. But let's say he went to that crowd and he was a boy who was mm. like, I don't know, like mm. differently versed in the way he spoke. They maybe would have been like, you know what, you're not part of us anyway. I mean imagine he, Imagine he went in and he said, you know what? I'm a poet. I'll be like, raw fam, you know too many words, bro. You're not with us. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, you know, bare words, bro. Like, nah, fam. Yeah, you know, for real. Like, you know too many words. I mean, mm. says, I don't know, man. There's, there's, <laughs> there's something, there's something in that language. Language is power that, 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 that ability to, to articulate yourself in a way that is so like, as, I don't know, as accurate or as like, I don't know, close to the truth or the truth as you feel. You know what I mean? It's, it's power, man. I see it's powerful. Literacy is powerful, man. I, 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 that's why I love books. Mm. The more... <laughs> Casey, yourself? Yep. How about you, man? Yep. Um, yeah, so I I got a really um, powerful relationship with language because I, I'm like, I'm, I'm very pedantic. I'm very pedantic around language and I'm not pedantic with like, if you don't know something and you don't know it, but I don't mm. like when people say things and then you <laughs> say to them, that's not what that means. Like I only do this for my friends. I don't do this for random people. I only do this for my friends when they're trying to be bright. Uh, <laughs> and, and they'll be like, oh, but yo, you're just, you're just, you're like being, you're, it's semantics. Yeah. Like, no, no, mm. words mean stuff. So like a prime example of this, you know, a lot of people are upset over where we're at right now with COVID. And People are mad about things and I get, I often get the frustration and the upset. And my friend says to me, uh, this isn't a, this isn't a pandemic. They call this a pandemic. And I said to him, what's the definition of a pandemic? And he says, I don't know. I said, so, what, so what are you talking about? He's like, well, 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 you know, not that many people have died, which is a mad statement in and of itself. Um, and I says to him, 
but you can have a pandemic with no deaths. So how can you? I was like, because of the definition of the word pandemic, like you can't just like you've you've got an art. You think you now know what the word means? You running off on a mad one talking about no, 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 because pandemic is about loads of people dying. I'm sorry, that's not what it means. And like, so I'm like that. I'm like, because because for me, language is. Did you know the one that I had to break? I had to break this relationship with. This was poetry. Did this? I had a mad mm. finger around the word literally. I had a, I had a finger around people using the word literally when they weren't being literal. Yeah, I used to be like, yo. Listen, if there's one word that I want you to use literally, yeah, it's literally, yeah, that's all I want from you. You use all the other words as figuratively as you like. Yeah, but let's use literally, literally. And a, and a poet from uh, Birmingham called Timothy Scottson said, he just said to me, but Casey, you're ruining the poetry. I was like, ah, oh, do you know what? you like, I get it now, I get it now. I'll move it back. You know what? It's a slow down. I take it all back. I've literally never felt this bad in my life. So yeah, and the thing is for me is learning is really important. And it comes back to what Q said about learning and language is the cornerstone of learning because everything that we learn is based on something that we know. And so when someone tries to teach you something, they'll always say, oh, it's like this, it's like that, it's connected to this, it's connected to that. You're, like we, the, Everything we know becomes a foundation for everything we can know. And the more you know, particularly with words, the more that someone can show you really easily. And I, me, and my, me and my wife now, my son's three years old, and my son wants to know what every word means. And my wife always struggles to explain the word mm, without using mm. a more complex word. So she goes, she'll be, he'll be like, what does this mean? And she'll say, oh, it's like that. And I'm like, yeah. babe, you, you, we're going to use yeah, this word yeah. one day to teach up, him that word. Are you try to use it backwards. <laughs> you try to go in different directions. <laughs> but like, it's, it's so important, like, just, just to be able to feel like you can. And this is when we work in schools and when you see kids who are, have difficulties mm. around their emotions mm. and anger, one of the things that connects a lot of those kids is they, they don't yeah. know how to say how they feel. So they're, they're always angry or happy or sad, they're never like devastated, they're never heartbroken. So staff don't mm. get how bad that kid's feeling because the kid said, I feel sad. Like, yo, mm. that kid's world just fell apart, mm. but he doesn't know how to tell you that. So mm. he just says, I feel sad. And I guess that's where that's where the powers of, again, people like yourself in being able to read that mm. and not necessarily be so stuck in, in the work that needs doing or the curriculum, but being able to kind of tell that language. Yeah, yeah. From from this kind of outside space to be like I can feel this energy yeah. and 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 this is the process in trying to get this individual to a better space, even yeah. if that means them trying to write it down. Yeah. Um, uh, your bookshelf. Ooh. What's on? What is on the bookshelf? Don't give me sixteen books, yeah, because <laughs> we had a guest trying to reel off enough but hey listen I'm actually talking to someone that runs a whole book club you don't (laughs) (laughs) you better calm yourself down and give me one real boy because alright I'm going to give you one book that everyone needs to have on their bookshelf right now I know you've got a copy Greeds everybody needs Caleb Azuma Nelson Open Water Mm. everybody like when I say everyone I mean everybody not everybody needs Caleb Azuma Nelson's <laughs> open water right now. <laughs> that's that's all, that's that's on my bookshelf right now. <laughs> yeah. So much so you went clean into the water to take a portrait shot of you holding a that's book, me. bro. Because that's that's dedication of how good this book is, yeah. right? <laughs> that's that's the yeah. one. Awesome. No, no one's there. Like just hold it down. Like just 
You know what? Vintage, vintage. I'm one, I'm one away from just keeping it wrapped and I'm not opening it. That's how, that's how it is. Today's one, one for the car, yeah. one for the crib, and one <laughs> in the plastic because it's a classic. I'm playing, I'm playing. Let me stop my nonsense. Um, <laughs> Casey, talk, talk, talk to, talk oh, to us, man. man. What have you got? One book. What? Yes, bruv. Stop your nonsense. No, like that. Ooh, <laughs> um, okay, I'm going to go a little bit more. Uh, maybe two. You can sneak two. I'm going to go a little bit more niche. Mm. You not everyone has to have this book on their bookshelf yet. Go on. Um, the book is called The Art of oh, Voice, Voice by Tony... To write that down. Hagland, I think his name is. And I say this because... Right. To, nice. And I tell a little story about it as well. Nick. I, um, I sent my... Um, <laughs> what I thought was my finished manuscript of my book to uh, Roger Robinson, who you may or may not be aware of. <laughs> mm. I said, Roger, please say something nice about Big my up, book. Roger. And he contacted me back and said, this ain't it. <laughs> <laughs> That's not what but he said. But it's the way that, it's the way it comes back. It's the honest, it's the honest, it's the honesty of the way it comes back that you need to take it in your he heart of said, hearts, bro. He never said this ain't it, but he said, Casey, it's not where it needs to be. Like, yeah, he yeah. says, how long do we have? I was like, we okay, and he and he's given me uh, like more advice than you know I could imagine someone would give me, especially someone like Roger Robinson, who's definitely out there writing to save the world right now. Mm. And one of the one of the things he recommended was was this book, and now I've been working on the manuscript, still doing bits and pieces. But I look at the what I sent him, and I look at where I'm at now, and I'm like, yo, yeah, this man's safe, you know? Do you know them them way there? Oh yeah. my god! And somebody we... else emailed me back and said, Casey, I love it, and I, in my head, like I'm like, see you. <laughs> <laughs> you were gonna have me out here with this book. <laughs> <laughs> no um, one was gonna have it on their bookshelf. Um, what, what's the other one? Caleb Femi Poor. Caleb yeah, Femi yeah. Poor, I think, might just be like it, for me. It's the best poetry book of the year, um, and I just it's just mind blowingly good. I, I say that he did for Concrete what Wordsworth did for Daffodils. Um, mm. Like he is special. It's a very special book. So yeah, yeah. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure speaking to both of you. I think while we all fundamentally agree that that there is a problem should the curriculum be looking into poetry in the way that it has been looking into poetry for yonks, um, it's going to grow to be more problematic. The way there can be room for change is if the access points changes mm. into poetry. And if you actually start adding more contemporary poets in the curriculum into these books or finding other ways that can to engage young people and young adults and generally people that, that kind of frown on poetry into different ways of, of, of engagement could be online or what have you and facilitation and the way that on the way it is presented also means the way you engage with it differs mm -hmm. and whether that is online whether that is in the schools, whether that is on the IG. And it's just such a pleasure speaking to both of you. And just a catch up, man. It was just, it was just, it was tense. It was all that it needed to be. And it was honest. And I'm very thankful to both of you to, to, today in terms of this conversation. Thank yeah. you very, very, very much. And I hope to catch you in the physical at some point soon, man. Um, thank you so, so much. Respect, man. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, man. Take care. Thank you for listening to Apples and Snakes, the podcast. I've been your host, Yomi Shode, and I hope you've enjoyed today's deep dive into the lives of black British poets and creatives. Big ups to audio producer Drew Hawley at the Lab Studios. If you want to find out more about Apples and Snakes, head over to www.applesandsnakes.com.
www.applesandsnakes.org and follow Apples and Snakes on all social media channels. And remember, if you like what you're hearing, please, please, please subscribe wherever you would usually listen to your podcast and rate us and leave a review on Apple Podcasts.